Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke. Thank you for joining me in this podcast series where I'll be sharing conversations with colleagues, exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice which I hope will be applicable for your medical practice. In this podcast episode, we're talking about urinary incontinence in women. Urinary incontinence is prevalent amongst women of all ages, perhaps as high as 25 to 45% overall, but increasing with age so that one in two women over 70 years of age will experience some form of incontinence. Women are twice as likely to be affected as men. The effect incontinence imposes on quality of life is substantial, as is the personal and social stigmatisation associated, and rates of presentation for assistance are low, perhaps on account of feelings of embarrassment and shame, and we should be aware as clinicians of the many effective management strategies now available to care for our patients. In women, Incontinence is generally divided into either stress incontinence or urge incontinence, though less commonly we may consider functional incontinence and overflow incontinence. Both affect the ability to void normally, that is seven times a day, with 250 to 300 mils per void, and to store up to 500 mils of urine in the bladder. If we consider stress incontinence, this is thought to affect about one in five women. One in ten who've not had a pregnancy, one in three who have. It's where urine leaks on coughing, sneezing, laughing, exercising or lifting and it's thought to reflect urethral hypermobility due to loss of support of bladder, neck and urethra as well as from weakness of the urinary sphincter. Turning our attention to urge incontinence, this is the involuntary loss of urine associated with a sudden and strong need to urinate. It's thought to affect at least 17% of women and involves a physiologic disturbance of bladder function including detrusor overactivity, poor detrusor compliance, bladder hypersensitivity, sometimes detrusor underactivity. In this episode, we're joined by expert urogynecologist Dr. Nathania Young to discuss this important problem in more detail, including clinical workup and management options from conservative, including dietary changes and the Kegel pelvic floor exercises, but also to discuss pharmacotherapy and surgery. Please welcome to the episode, Dr. Nathania Young. Now, Dr. Nathania Young, I'm most grateful for you giving up your time on this very cold and blustery afternoon in Melbourne where the storms are moving through to, to uh, join me on Everyday Medicine and to talk about uh, urinary incontinence in women from the urogynecology point of view. And you, know, you fascinate me because you are one of only a few urogynecologists in Australia. And um, I'd like to talk about the management of stress incontinence and urinary incontinence of an urge variety, which, which is a a major problem for women and not talked about much, I, I think. And it has a major impact on their quality of life. But before we launch into that, into the nitty-gritty of all that, um, can I ask you about your journey, your journey into urogynecology, Nathania? How did you get here? What sort of drove you to this and who were the big, what were the big influences in your career? Um, so I think I came into doing obstetrics and gynaecology thinking I was going to be an obstetrician. Um, And I think somewhat it's because of the medical training and as a medical student you don't really have exposure to gynaecology as such. Mm -hmm. But I definitely remember as a medical student thinking obstetrics was so cool because I got to deliver a baby and that was the best thing ever. Um, And I think as an intern and resident I went through a box ticking of exercise of as you go through your um, residencies you say that's definitely not for me and maybe I could do that. Um, so obstetrics and gynaecology highlighted 
that, that I was like, yes, I, I could be interested in that. Then I got into the program. I thought, actually, you know what? I love operating. That's what I like to do, operating. Yeah. Very rewarding, isn't it, using your hands? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so already being in the obstetric and gynaecology program, there were a few um, other specialties that you could do within that. So essentially there is gynaecology, which is cancer. And I looked at them and thought, oh, they work very hard and they're up on all night and they're on call. Uh, not sure I want to do that. <laughs> and sad. plus their patients die, so that's sad. sad. Um, so that one was a cross on mm. the list. Uh, and then there was kind of infertility um, and IVF. Um, again, you know, I thought, oh, endometriosis surgery doesn't really interest me that mm. much. Mm. Mm. Um, and so the new kid on the block was urogynecology. And uh, I thought, this is great. This is nearly as good as obstetrics because d delivering a baby is exciting and rewarding and curing someone of prolapse or incontinence mm. is also exciting and rewarding mm. and significantly changes their life. Mm. And it's a pretty good lifestyle as well because there's not many emergencies. Did, did you have trouble juggling your, your uh, I'm going to say, Life as a woman, life yeah. as a lady, and, and I know that there's you've already two careers, uh, you know, with, yeah, with family totally. and, and medicine, there's not just one career, you've got two careers. I mean, I don't really yep. have one career. But juggling that and also with the rigours of training, it's not easy to do that. It's no, a very difficult right. uh, job actually to do. Yep. Was that, was that extremely difficult for you? Did you have to take some time off doing a course too? Uh, I took very minimal time off, which <laughs> my poor family probably suffer more than me. Um, and so, again, you know, this, this was a good thing about urogynecology that it was much more, you know, eight till five, mm, mm. less on call, so less potential mm. interruption to mm. the family, um, but still a surgical A little specialty. less brutal than some other yeah, yeah, uh, surgical exactly. and medical uh, careers. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it definitely can be brutal for us. Yeah, no, definitely. No question. So you're in, you're in now one of a, a rare group of, of people doing urogynecology and, we're, you know, we're really honoured to have you working in this area. It's, Tremendous to have someone with your expertise. Um, tell us a bit about urinary incontinence in women. That's one of the things that you're managing. Yep. It's a common problem, I understand, yes. that women from about the age of 70, maybe one in two have this. Not that Definitely. always necessarily uh, discuss it because it's an embarrassing situation. Can you tell us, work us through uh, what we should know about with yep. respect to incontinence? So, um, uh, again, so, yeah, it depends on the age group. So we definitely know that as you increase in age, you're more likely to have incontinence. Um, and so, yeah, by the time you're 70, about 50% of women will have incontinence. Mm -hmm. um, it's also one of the leading causes of why people get um, sent to nursing homes as well is incontinence because right. the, they, the, pa the person themselves can't cope and the family members can't cope. So it's one of the leading causes of being admitted into a nursing home. Right, I didn't realise that. Um, huge, That's terribly sad. Uh, yeah, very sad, right? And huge um, cost economic um, mm. Mm. to the society as well. Um, so I would say in term, for, for GPs, 70% of women in their waiting room will have incontinence or prolapse and they've never brought it up with their GP and it takes them at least often Mm. about five years to even think about bringing it up. Mm. And put a lot of trust with their primary physician yep. to, to broach that subject. A lot of women I have, you know, the long-term GPs, they actually they don't want to see their long-term GP. Mm. 
they actually then go to another GP to get a referral often as well. Mm. Mm. Um, it's still, you know, it's still taboo. It's still uh, very difficult for the average person to talk about it. Um, there's there's embarrassment mm. and mm. a lot of women, you know, find that even their partner doesn't know about their incontinence. Mm. Mm. Um, so it really does affect their quality of life. Um, and, you know, there's some, there's some women out there that are depressed and they don't even want to leave the home because mm. of their bladder leakage. So for some people, they're, they're good in COVID. They're happy. They're happy they don't have to leave the home. <laughs> nice. um, so, yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a big problem. It's probably it's one of these things that is difficult to really truly gauge because mm. Mm. often it, it's a topic that's not um, revealed. Uh, so unless you directly ask someone, they're not going to tell you about it. I don't remember ever having this discussed when I was a... When I was tra- in training, just yeah. never discussed. Yeah. You know, a- 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 and as you said, gynecology wasn't really mentioned very much either for that matter. Yeah. But this, this particularly is not discussed. It's a little bit like um, anorectal incontinence as well, which it's a big issue. Yeah. And problems of defecation doesn't get really mentioned much because it's a taboo subject. Yeah. So the, there are with stress incontinence and urge incontinence. Yep. They're the commonest yeah. ones. And, sometimes and then a mixed, mixed version. Tell us about that. What, what do we need to know about stress incontinence? What is that? So stress incontinence is leakage when, with physical activity. So it's leakage with cough, sneeze, laugh or exercise. Mm. Um, and urge incontinence is uh, rushing to the toilet and leaking before you get to the toilet. Uh, we have found that only 5% of women have pure stress incontinence. The predominant version is that they have mixed incontinence. Right. Okay. And one of the reasons is that um, at, as you start to leak a little bit when you cough and sneeze, you find that you can give yourself techniques of how mm. to overcome that. And one mm. of those is going to the toilet more frequently to have a smaller um, right. amount in your bladder, mm. and then that then develops that they can only hold certain amounts in their bladder, so they can develop overactive bladder symptoms. The treatment is different between stress incontinence and overactive bladder. So if someone has predominantly stress incontinence, leakage with cough and sneeze, um, the first step is pelvic floor exercises. Pelvic floor exercises have been shown to improve 50% of incontinence for mm. people with mm. fairly mild incontinence. So they have to do those exercises for a, for a prolonged time Forever. as well? Forever. <laughs> it's like going, I tell them it's like going to the gym. So they need to do... Um, 10 sets twice a day forever. They stop doing them, their incontinence comes back. 10 sets twice. How long does a set take? Um, so each squeeze should be five seconds. So okay. 10 so sets will cost them, take them one minute. Yeah, enough time to boil an egg. So yep. they yeah, get the kettle going. So they, it, can, it just has to become a routine, established yep. routine. Can I ask you why stress incontinence forms? Do we understand what, what yeah, the so that, that is Yeah, so that is and... complex, but it is... Much, it's more predominant in females. Females have a very short urethra of three centimeters. So there's two ty- kind of two types or three types of incontinence potentially that forms. One is called hypermobility. That is where the ligaments that hold the urethra in place become stretched, and then that urethral tube moves around. So that's sort of like a childbirth. That would be common After consequence childbirth. of childbirth. Totally. Yes. So yes. again, one of the cause, one of the big causes of stress incontinence yes. is vaginal birth. Yes. Okay. Um, and the but, but not not if you have a cesarean section or still some influence. There is st- some influence. So. 
studies have shown that if um, you have a cesarean section, it's not fully protective. Right. After the age of 50, when menopause comes in, those ligaments and muscles become weak, so mm. those people can mm. still have stress incontinence. Right, okay. I also see people who've had no babies yes. and they're older and they can have stress incontinence. Yes. So a cesarean is not fully protective, but having a vaginal birth um, increases the risk of mm. stress incontinence mm. because you have faster degree of ligament damage mm. and muscle damage. Okay. I'm guessing the more complicated, it, what do we know, more complicated the delivery perhaps, yeah, yep. more likelihood. Yeah. Okay. So there is a main pelvic floor muscle called the pubococcygeus or right. um, the levator ani. Yes. If yep. that's been damaged, that increases risk of okay. um, stress incontinence and prolapse. Um, some people can have um, catheters placed poorly um, or for long periods of time and it causes necrosis and an injury to the urethral muscle. Mm. And so then they have this open like a water pipe mm. uh, where they stand up and they have severe leakage. Mm. That's a, kind of a severe form of incontinence, yes. which we call intrinsic sphincter deficiency because it's the sphincter of the urethra mm. that stopped working. Mm. Okay. So that's, that's terrible. So pelvic floor muscle exercise is just one way of combating that lifelong two sets, two yep. sets of 10 yep. every day. Yep. And it, are there other treatments that you can... There's another non-surgical treatment option of a continence pessary. It's right. a little silicon ring that puts pressure under the urethra. Okay. And then there's surgical treatment options. Now, in terms of surgical treatment options, there has been a lot of media about gynecological mesh. Mm. There was a class action um, that's still kind of ongoing mm. um, about uh, a Johnson & Johnson product. Yeah. Most of that class action was about gynecological mesh for prolapse, which has been removed from the market. Was it causing adhesions or It was infection? causing pain mm. and something called mesh exposure. Right. A couple of the slings got caught up in that process of the um, class action. I'm surprised Johnson & Johnson are still profitable, actually. They all seem to be involved in class Yes, actions. I know, poor people. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. They must make some good products. They do. <laughs> um, and so um, I would say the mid-urethral sling is still one of the most common procedures that we would do for treatment of stress incontinence, for surgical treatment. Um, and it is safe and it's very well studied. Do you have to do that more than once in someone's life to find, um, or is it revised? Sometimes. So, again, there's two types of um, slings that we can do and it's shown that one's probably a little bit more effective than another. So uh, there would be uh, people that have two or three slings and, and in their the lifetime. Sling? We don't have the mesh anymore. What, yeah, what no, it is. So it's, it's polypropylene. It's a plastic sling. Oh. It's literally yeah, one centimetre wide made of polypropylene. Okay. And about two centimetres is in the vagina. Right. And so that tucks up behind the pubic bone or it can it can come out into the groin. You're so working in a very small area, aren't you, here? It must be very right. difficult to... So this is to, like a blind procedure yeah. with a trocar. I can imagine how hard that would be to do. Yeah. The effective rate is 80%. So 80% okay. cure that they no longer need to wear pads. They can run, jump, transform their quality of life. Yeah, that's an incredible outcome. Yeah. That's a very, very good outcome. Most women say best thing they've ever done. Yeah. Uh, and they should have done it 10 years ago. Yeah, we should be advertising that, shouldn't we, everywhere? Yeah. For, but, for but, there are, but there are potential risks as well. So, you know, it is, it is plastic. It's permanent. Mm. So it goes to the grave with them. 
Yeah. If there is a complication, it is harder to remove because it's in embedded into yeah. that tissue. Tissue get tissue and growth quite quickly, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. So these days, humans tend to go to the grave with all sorts of processes. You don't have hips and you know stents and like it's it's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's hardly any natural bodies that are being buried. True. I suspect anymore fillings, but uh, so that that's a that's a very. Um, thank you for showing me that. Yeah. That's that's an incredible. And it's literally outcome. one centimetre cut in the vagina and two little half-centimetre cuts in the pubic hairline. Is that an overnight stay in hospital? Yep. Okay. So not too many complications, uh, quite a you know short stay yep. in hospital and a very transforming result. And we've got evidence at 20 years that it's as effective as when we put it in. So okay. randomised controlled trials at 20 years. So with the stress incontinence group that you've got this wonderful treatment for, do you... Do you have to do urodynamic studies and other things to prove it before you embark on that? Yes, or is it again, a, because yeah. we live in the medical legal... It's not legal. enough just to go on the history and yeah. someone stands up and they're leaking and think, oh, that's obviously what you've got. You've got to do a lot more. What, what other yep. sorts of workup do you have to have? And what would be useful for, if a general practitioner was sending to you, would, would it be useful for them to do some tests in advance of referral? Uh, often a urine MCS is, yes. is helpful. Yeah, okay. Sure. Um, and a renal ultrasound. Yes, uh, that's just to exclude, you know, renal stones that they are yeah. avoiding okay. Mm. Um, that's probably about it. And if they've had the pelvic floor exercises with the physiotherapist already mm. um, and that they're still significantly bothered by incontinence, um, yes. then they'd be suitable for a surgical procedure. Yeah, urodynamics I do for everyone because five, only, uh, only a very small portion have pure stress incontinence they do often complain of a bit of urgency as well yes and what, what, what is a urodynamic can you explain what, what yep. that test so is? It's, a, it's a funny test they um come in with a comfortably full bladder they sit on a commode like chair right. um that's in like a toilet someone watching them <laughs> uh, we, we try and give them some dignity yes. and have yes. a little uh, screen and leave yes. the room okay um so trying to simulate a toilet yes uh they wee on that toilet and that that measures how they wee, so right. it records how um, how much they pee, the and, volume, and it prints yes. out a graph of how they pee. A normal pee is like a bell curve. This is, you're talking about the the, the speed of yes, injection of that's urine. That's right, exactly. Okay. Yep. It measures that too somehow. Yep. Okay. So yeah, it measures how quickly it passes through the funnel, right? And okay. um, is like a scale. That's clever. And prints out a graph. Right, okay. Uh, then we do a little catheter in to see how much they leave left over. Okay. Um, and then the urodynamics part is that a, a catheter with a pressure sensor goes into the urethra, a catheter with a pressure sensor goes into the bottom, and that is a recording of the abdominal pressure. And then we get a subtraction of the abdominal pressure and the urethral pressure, which mm. gives us the bladder muscle. Sounds like something the Einstein would, would, would dream. This is quite a compl- I didn't realise it was <laughs> yeah, so complicated. complicated. So you have to, that's done in hospital or is it yep. not radiology we can, aren't doing that? Um, there's three places you can do it. You can do it in the rooms, you can do it in the hospital, or you can do it radiological right. guidance. Okay. Um, then we fill their bladder up with water, get them to cough, push. We do a bit of running water. So you might have heard, you might have thought that that was a myth, that running water can actually cause a bladder contraction. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then we get them that's to like on, a boarding school yep <laughs> yeah, you can't pee we'll run the taps um yes. and then we get them to pee at, uh back on the commode toilet right at the end um and so that tells me how they pee 
how much the bladder holds, how much pressure or force they generate before they leak mm. and whether the bladder is contracting, so something called detrusor overactivity. Um, and then generally I would have a look inside the bladder at the end with a cystoscopy. And what, so, what are you, again, what are you looking for? That, that tells me make sure they don't have cancer, mm. stones, mm. that they've been having recurrent UTIs. Right, okay. So you'll, you'll see if the uroepithelium is inflamed yep. and getting this sort of hypersensitivity. So that's working out stress and urge incontinence and a mixture of them. You've, you've looked at yep. two different broad areas there, haven't you? The urge yep. and also the, the, the stress by that urodynamic study. Okay. Is there more to discuss about the stress incontinence? You've got this... I'm very impressed with this operation. I didn't yeah, so there is a there is a number of operations, and again, I give them the Australian Health and Society um, care document. So, you know, it's all about being informed. So, again, incontinence is not dangerous or life threatening, so it doesn't have to. You know, mm. you don't have to do anything. So, just telling mm. them mm. do nothing is an option, mm. and use continence aids. Mm. Um, conservative treatment options, so the pelvic floor exercises, um, the continence device. Mm. Um, things that GPs would know about or try about is there's a um, magnetic chair. So for some people that helps. I thought I heard about this and I thought this was a gimmick. Do, yeah. It doesn't so seem it, like it so could it do is, anything. So it is about doing the pelvic floor. So what it does is it helps the person contract their pelvic floor. I so see. Yeah, so yeah. if you can do a good pelvic floor squeeze, it's no more effective than right. pelvic floor exercises. Right. But for those people that struggle or maybe physio is not readily yes. available or cost is an issue. Just give them feedback and teach them, them what they should be doing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So so that's an option. Um, one that's out in the media is laser. However, there's no effective, we don't know, that hasn't been well studied. What, what are you yet. lasering? Uh, the vagina. So there's mm. lots of cosmetic surgeons that will say light bladder leakage can cure you with laser. So there's um, Erg-Yag laser that goes into the vagina. Um, maybe that is uh, effective for um, mild stress incontinence. Mm. But definitely no no studies no. and it's there's it a bit of a TGA like warning yeah, about it, it as well. It doesn't sound like it's treating the right part of the anatomy to me. But no, exactly. But I guess ultimately it's causing some scarring underneath the bladder, so affecting those ligaments again right. is, is the theory. Okay. And then there are a few operations. So, you know, a sling's not for everyone. And, again, if you've had a sling already, then um, maybe you can have one more. Uh, there is um, a filling agent, so an injection into the urethra Some that's possible. Some kind of polymer, is it? Or? Do you use bulkamide? No. No, no, but the colorectal surgeons. They have used they have used those. Yeah, for of, faecal incontinence, yes, right? So have, similar yeah. similar to that. Not they're not very popular actually, but they Yeah, because it's I, not very effective. And I've had a few patients who had terrible complications, but then okay. yeah, they they're not terribly keen on them, but um, Yeah. Again, so bulkamide is is a little bit more popular because of the mesh media. Yes. Um, does, it, does it work, do you think? Or? Uh, so it would be 60% improvement. Mm. You may not be dry. So I'd say there's like 40% of women would be dry. It mm. doesn't last forever. It lasts between mm. two to eight years. Mm. Okay. So, again, it's, it's, pos it's good for, you know, frail elderly mm. that are on blood thinners because it, it's a day procedure mm. Um, mm. or those with, that aren't peeing very well. So mm. if they've got some voiding dysfunction, then that, that's useful. Right, okay. Um, there, if you'd had complications with a plastic sling or you were really against a plastic sling, so someone that might be um, 
where you wouldn't really want to put a plastic sling in if they're very immunosuppressed, mm. um, I can use their own tissues. So okay. that's called a fascial sling. Yeah. Okay. Generally we would take a piece of their um, the rectus sheath that holds the tummy flat and we wrap that around as a yeah, sling. That's clever as well. Oh, okay. And then the old school way was the birch colpo suspension and we've gone a little bit back to the birch. Okay. What, what does that involve? Um, so generally we do it laparoscopically where we suture the lower part of the bladder up to um, a ligament across the pubic bone. Okay. And so lifting up the bladder neck. And that sort of changes the angles a little bit. Exactly. Okay. So, again, you know, it, it's how they used to do it yes. in the 80s. and. Yes. We, 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 it was superseded because the sling was more effective. Yes, I heard about that. And less invasive. I never understood really what yeah. they were talking about. Yeah. Okay. And it changed the axis so you get, so you, so you can get prolapse right. ultimately. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, what, what about then the other side of this coin, the urge incontinence? Yep. It, which is, is that, that's a more, is that a more common Yes, and that one us? affects men and women. Yes. So overactive bladder would affect men and women. Um, it is, probably more common. It affects women of all ages and mm. men of all ages. Um, so it's unrelated to childbirth. That is where the bladder contracts. Um, so the bladder spasms and squeezes and mm. causes urinary leakage. Mm. Um, so it's the detrusor overactivity. Yep. So um, again, that can be due to diet. So for people who drink a lot of tea, coffee, mm. um, I've seen people who drink 10 to 20 coffees, you know, one <laughs> litre of mother or Coke. And I think, oh, goodness. Mother, my favourite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be buzzing, right? Um, and so, yeah, that they're all diuretic. So they're producing more mm. urine, that's making them go and then right. spasming the bladder. Yes. So simply changing diet can help mm. overactive bladder. Um, giving themselves bladder or doing bladder training. So, again, with a physiotherapist doing pelvic floor exercises and what we call bladder training, giving them techniques of how to defer voiding. Mm. So a lot of people think, oh, well, if I rush off to the toilet, I won't leak. So I'll do that. So then they're going to the toilet 10, 20 times mm. um, during the day and sometimes right, right, that at seven. night yes. mm. um, to prevent leakage. But that, re that trains the bladder that it can hold less and less and less. Mm, and then okay. their leakage gets worse and worse and worse. Mm, mm. So giving them techniques of how to squeeze, how to defer, voiding, how to reduce the urgency can be helpful. Um, and if that's not helpful enough, medications. So there's a number of medications we can try. Um, Anticholinergics such mm. as Ditropan, Vesicare, mm. um, and then there is a newer medication, which is Myrobegra. Mm. How effective is that? Uh, so I'd say help medication alone helps 25% of women. Mm. So it's good if they have mild incontinence of, you know, one incontinence episode a day mm. when they're very wet. Mm. It's less likely to be helpful. Okay. So if they try medications and they are ineffective, ineffective, um, the next step would be to think about something like Botox into the bladder. Yes. Or there's a nerve stimulator. Where do you inject the Botox? Is it just into the, the trigone region? Um, into the bladder base, generally. Do you have to, you'd have to put multiple injections in, yep. I imagine. But how hard is that to do? That sounds like a complex thing. That's you're doing it through a cystoscope with a... With a needle. Like a sclerotherapy needle. We use those sorts of things for stopping bleeding, but that's what you're using it for. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that would be a, that's a day procedure. The problem with Botox is it needs repeat injections. Yes. yes. 
Uh, so some people aren't happy to keep coming back. So maybe within nine to 12 months, that sort of time. Is it MBS um, covered it for is. that indication? Yeah. yeah. And the MBS indications are that they have to have tried two medications and failed. Right. Um, and have a certain number of incontinence episodes a day. Okay. All right. And then the PBS will pick it up. Yes. Um, we do have an acupuncture device called um, percutaneous tibial nerve stimulation that has recently been approved in Australia. We tap into a nerve um, around the ankle joint and that um, the tibial nerve has a branch from the bladder. And so by tapping in at the ankle joint. <laughs> I didn't learn that in medical school. Yeah, I read I this in uh, one of the books I was reading. I thought, oh, yeah. what are they talking about with the tibial nerve? Yeah. So that is, okay. Yeah. It's, I think it's from L5 to S2. Okay. And um, so we, so we um, put in an acupuncture needle and hook it up to a stimulator. Right. And that sends pulsations. Back to in, the spinal cord. Yep. Okay. And then back to the bladder. Yep. Via, via a different branch. Okay. And How so, effective is that? That, that sounds uh, um, so, really interesting. Uh, I would say 60 to 70%. Wow. So more effective than medications. This is for the detrusor um, overactivity. overactivity. And do you have to do that multiple times? Is it, yes. Is it... So it's a course of um, 12 injections and then once a month maintenance. Okay. Ongoing. So it's ongoing. Right. Okay. But again, some people are very happy with that because they, yeah. they've either had complications with um, or side effects with medications mm. or the medications have been ineffective uh, and avoid surgery. Yeah, and the sacral nerve is another, that's another and, Yes, that's another, yep. And so that's tapping in straight into S3, the main nerve of the bladder, um, and that lasts for five years. And what is being released hopefully this year is um, an MRI-safe version of that. But so that's, a, that's an implantable device. It's implantable. Right, Okay. Yes. And again, there are, you know, as technology improves, so mm. some people have developed an implantable PTNS as well. We just don't have it in Australia. It's fascinating. So the approaches to the urgent continence are quite different to the stress. You're, you mentioned like one of the things that you'll do from a surgical perspective is perhaps inject Botox, um, put in a stimulant. Do you put the stimulators in or as, as well? Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, I thought that might have been the pain management team that did that. No, John that requires a lot. John Lonnie will help you. That requires a lot of training. You're, you're working on the body from lots of different aspects here. That's, yeah. No wonder it's so fascinating. Being yeah, that's right. Exactly. Incredible. Um, <laughs> there's nothing else that you can you can do for Detrusa. Are there other surgical approaches, or that's? Um, and then so then, are there are other like end of line treatment options. So either removing the bladder. Ooh, or okay. um, enlarging the bladder, so a cystoplasty, so they can get a piece of bowel and stick it into the okay. bladder to try and enlarge the bladder. Because that's got to be a very serious outcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, or then there's catheterization as well. Yeah. So it depends on, you know, the patient and the health mm. and the age. Yeah, there's lots of factors we look at. If you have detrusor inactivity, is that something that you see as well? Yes, yeah. that's right. Then they can't pee. Mm. And, again, so voiding dysfunction is very difficult to cure. Mm. Um, and so the mainstay of treatment 
is going to be catheterisation. They're not getting an overflow incontinence with that or, or they are they? sometimes they do. do. Mm. Yep. So a group of patients that I would see are those with multiple sclerosis. Mm. Mm. And every now and again I diagnose a multiple sclerosis because they present with bladder symptoms. Mm. And that, so they will... They can present with a myriad of symptoms, but it can either be that, you know, frequency, urgency. Mm. So sometimes people who seem like they have overactive bladder, well, once we assess their voiding, so that they pee on that funny chair, mm. they actually might have 700 mils left in their bladder. Yeah. And then that's actually mm. that their bladder mm. is not working, it's mm. not functioning. Mm. Huge, and that's a huge why. volume. Yeah. 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 And so they do very well with teaching them how to put a catheter in and out. And, and that's something that you deal with as well. Yes. Yep. You're, you know, we're talking about females here. We aren't talking about males. Am I right in saying that you don't really deal with the male side of yeah, the? Yeah, I don't do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very smart. Very sensible. Okay. Uh, we've covered a lot of things there, Nathania. That's really opened my eyes up. My eyes up to how you manage stress incontinence and um, and the clinical problems. I, I guess I'm interested also to hear that it's quite young people. That's not just an, an older age group together to urge incontinence and you're seeing yeah. young people as well with that. Her, I suspect are also quite reluctant to come and talk with you and, and ask for a referral. They must think, you know, you'd be questioning what's wrong with you if you were going in as, as a 20-year-old or early 30-year-old and asking for assistance. Um, but it's fantastic to have you here working uh, you know, with so, much, so many tools at your disposal and so much knowledge in the area. Nathaniel, I'm most grateful and um, I um, look forward to referring you patients in due course. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation held today with Dr. Nathania Young on this very important subject of urinary incontinence in women. Please read more about this. It's such a devastating issue for ladies and very rarely discussed. Uh, during the podcast series, we will be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed and maybe email to manager at geohealth.com.au.